This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Lilac Fairy Book by Andrew Lang, Editor The Castle of Kerglas Peronick was a poor idiot who belonged to nobody, and he would have died of starvation if it had not been for the kindness of the village people, who gave him food whenever he chose to ask for it. And as for a bed, when night came, and he grew sleepy, he looked about for a heap of straw, and making a hole in it, crept in like a lizard. Idiot though he was, he was never unhappy, but always thanked gratefully those who fed him, and sometimes would stop for a little and sing to them. For he could imitate a lark so well that no one knew which was Peronick and which was the bird. He had been wandering in a forest one day for several hours, and when evening approached he suddenly felt very hungry. Luckily, just at that place the trees grew thinner, and he could see a small farmhouse a little way off. Peronick went straight towards it, and found the farmer's wife standing at the door, holding in her hands the large bowl out of which her children had eaten their supper. "'I am hungry. Will you give me something to eat?' asked the boy. "'If you can find anything here, you are welcome to it,' answered she, and indeed there was not much left, as everybody's spoon had dipped in. But Peronick ate what was there with a hearty appetite and he thought that he had never tasted better food. "'It is made of the finest flour, and mixed with the richest milk, and stirred by the best cook in all the countryside.' And though he said it to himself, the woman heard him. "'Poor innocent,' she murmured. "'He does not know what he is saying. But I will cut him a slice of that new wheaten loaf.' And so she did, and Peronick ate up every crumb and declared that nobody less than the bishop's baker could have baked it. This flattered the farmer's wife so much that she gave him some butter to spread on it, and Peronick was still eating it on the doorstep when an armed knight rode up. "'Can you tell me the way to the castle of Kerglas?' asked he. "'To Kerglas? Are you really going to Kerglas?' cried the woman, turning pale. "'Yes.' and in order to get there I have come from a country so far off that it has taken me three months' hard riding to travel as far as this." "'And why do you want to go to Kerglas?' said she. "'I am seeking the basin of gold, and the lance of diamonds which are in the castle,' he answered. Then Peronick looked up. "'The basin and the lance are very costly things,' he said suddenly more costly and precious than all the crowns in the world," replied the stranger. For not only will the basin furnish you with the best food that you can dream of, but if you drink of it, it will cure you of any illness, however dangerous, and will even bring the dead back to life if it touches their mouths. As to the diamond lance, this will cut through any stone or metal. "'And to whom do these wonders belong?' asked Peronick in amazement. "'To a magician named Rogier, who lives in the castle,' answered the woman. "'Every day he passes along here, mounted on a black mare, with a colt thirteen months old trotting behind. 
but no one dares to attack him, as he always carries his lance. "'That is true,' said the knight. "'But there is a spell laid upon him which forbids his using it within the castle of Kerglas. The moment he enters, the basin and lance are put away in a dark cellar which no key but one can open, and that is the place where I wish to fight the magician.' "'You will never overcome him, Sir Knight,' replied the woman, shaking her head. More than a hundred gentlemen have ridden past this house, bent on the same errand, and not one has ever come back." "'I know that, good woman,' returned the knight. But then they did not have, like me, instructions from the hermit of Blavette." "'And what did the hermit tell you?' asked Peronek. "'He told me that I should have to pass through a wood full of all sorts of enchantments and voices which would try to frighten me and make me lose my way. Most of those who have gone before me have wandered they know not where, and perished from cold, hunger, or fatigue." "'Well, suppose you get through safely,' said the idiot. "'If I do,' continued the knight, "'I shall then meet a sort of fairy armed with a needle of fire which burns to ashes all it touches. This dwarf stands guarding an apple-tree, from which I am bound to pluck an apple." "'And next?' inquired Peronek. "'Next I shall find the flower that laughs, protected by a lion whose mane is formed of vipers. I must pluck that flower, and go on to the lake of the dragons, and fight the black man who holds in his hand the iron ball which never misses its mark, and returns of its own accord to its master. After that, I entered the Valley of Pleasure, where some who conquered all the other obstacles have left their bones. If I can win through this, I shall reach a river with only one ford, where a lady in black will be seated. She will mount my horse behind me, and tell me what I am to do next." He paused, and the woman shook her head. "'You will never be able to do all that,' said she. But he bade her remember that these were only matters for men, and galloped away down the path she pointed out. The farmer's wife sighed, and giving Peronix some more food, bade him good-night. The idiot rose, and was opening the gate which led into the forest when the farmer himself came up. "'I want a boy to tend my cattle,' he said abruptly, "'as the one I had has run away. Will you stay and do it?' And Peronix, though he loved his liberty and hated work, recollected the good food he had eaten, and agreed to stop. At sunrise he collected his herd carefully, and led them to the rich pasture which lay along the borders of the forest, cutting himself a hazel wand with which to keep them in order. His task was not quite so easy as it looked, for the cows had a way of straying into the wood, and by the time he had brought one back another was off. He had gone some distance into the trees after a naughty black cow which gave him more trouble than all the rest, when he heard the noise of horses' feet, and peeping through the leaves he beheld the giant Rogier seated on his mare, with the colt trotting behind. Round the giant's neck hung the golden bowl suspended from a chain, and in his hand he grasped the diamond lance which gleamed like fire. But as soon as he was out of sight, the idiot sought in vain for traces of the path he had taken. This happened not only once, but many times, 
till Perronet grew so used to him that he never troubled to hide. But on each occasion he saw him, the desire to possess the bowl and the lance became stronger. One evening the boy was sitting alone on the edge of the forest, when a man with a white beard stopped before him. "'Do you want to know the way to Kerglas?' asked the idiot, and the man answered, "'I know it well.' "'You have been there without being killed by the magician?' cried Peronik. "'Oh, he had nothing to fear from me,' replied the white-bearded man. "'I am Rogier's elder brother, the wizard Bryak. When I wish to visit him I always pass this way, and, as even I cannot go through the enchanted wood without losing myself, I call the colt to guide me.' Stooping down as he spoke he traced three circles on the ground, and murmured some words very low, which Peronik could not hear. Then he added aloud, "'Colt, free to run and free to eat. Colt, gallop fast until we meet.' And instantly the colt appeared, frisking and jumping to the wizard, who threw a halter over his neck and leaped on his back. Peronik kept silence at the farm about this adventure, but he understood very well that if he was ever to get to Kerglas he must first catch the colt which knew the way. Unhappily he had not heard the magic words uttered by the wizard, and he could not manage to draw the three circles, so if he was to summon the cold at all he must invent some other means of doing it. All day long, while he was herding the cows, he thought and thought how he was to call the colt, for he felt sure that once on its back he could overcome the other dangers. Meantime he must be ready in case a chance should come and he made his preparations at night, when everyone was asleep. Remembering what he had seen the wizard do, he patched up an old halter that was hanging in a corner of the stable, twisted a rope of hemp to catch the colt's feet, and a net such as is used for snaring birds. Next he sewed roughly together some bits of cloth to serve as a pocket, and this he filled with glue and lark's feathers, a string of beads, a whistle of elderwood, and a slice of bread rubbed over with bacon fat. Then he went out to the path down which Rogier, his mare, and the colt always rode, and crumbled the bread on one side of it. Punctual to their hour all three appeared, eagerly watched by Peronik, who lay hid in the bushes close by. Suppose it was useless. Suppose the mare and not the colt ate the crumbs. Suppose, but no! The mare and her rider went safely by, vanishing round a corner, while the colt, trotting along with its head on the ground, smelt the bread, and began greedily to lick up the pieces. Oh, how good it was! Why had no one ever given it that before? And so absorbed was the little beast, sniffing about after a few more crumbs, that it never heard Peronik creep up till it felt the halter on its neck and the rope round its feet, and in another moment someone on its back. Going as fast as the hobbles would allow, the colt turned into one of the wildest parts of the forest, while its rider sat trembling at the strange sights he saw. Sometimes the earth seemed to open in front of them, and he was looking into a bottomless pit. Sometimes the trees burst into flames, and he found himself in the midst of a fire, often in the act of crossing a stream the water rose and threatened to sweep him away. 
and again, at the foot of a mountain, great rocks would roll towards him as if they would crush him and his colt beneath their weight. To his dying day Peronick never knew whether these things were real, or if he only imagined them, but he pulled down his knitted cap so as to cover his eyes, and trusted the colt to carry him down the right road. At last the forest was left behind, and they came out on a wide plain where the air blew fresh and strong. The idiot ventured to peep out, and found to his relief that the enchantment seemed to have ended, though a thrill of horror shot through him as he noticed the skeletons of men scattered over the plain, beside the skeletons of their horses. And what were those grey forms trotting away in the distance? Were they? Could they be? Wolves? But vast though the plain seemed, it did not take long to cross, and very soon the colt entered a sort of shady park in which was standing a single apple-tree. Its branches bowed down to the ground with the weight of its fruit. In front was the corrigan, the little fairy-man, holding in his hand the fiery sword which reduced to ashes everything it touched. At the sight of Peronic he uttered a piercing scream and raised his sword, but without appearing surprised the youth only lifted his cap, though he took care to remain at a little distance. "'Do not be alarmed, my prince,' said Peronic. "'I am just on my way to Kerglas, as the noble Rogier has begged me to come to him on business.' "'Begged you to come?' repeated the dwarf. "'And who, then, are you?' "'I am the new servant he has engaged, as you know very well.' answered Peronick. "'I do not know it all,' rejoined the Corrigan sulkily, "'and you may be a robber for all I can tell.' "'I am so sorry,' replied Peronick, "'but I may be wrong in calling myself a servant, for I am only a bird-catcher. But do not delay me, I pray, for His Highness the Magician expects me, and, as you see, has lent me his colt so that I might reach the castle all the quicker.' At these words the Corrigan cast his eyes for the first time on the colt, which he knew to be the one belonging to the magician, and began to think that the young man was speaking the truth. After examining the horse, he studied the rider, who had such an innocent, and indeed vacant, air that he appeared incapable of inventing a story. Still, the dwarf did not feel quite sure that all was right, and asked what the magician wanted with a bird-catcher. From what he says, he wants one very badly," replied Peronick, as he declares that all his grain and all the fruit in his garden at Kerglas are eaten up by the birds. "'And how are you going to stop that, my fine fellow?' inquired the Corrigan. And Peronick showed him the snare he had prepared, and remarked that no bird could possibly escape from it. "'That is just what I should like to be sure of,' answered the Corrigan. My apples are completely eaten up by blackbirds and thrushes. Lay your snare, and if you can manage to catch them, I will let you pass." "'That is a fair bargain,' and as he spoke Peronick jumped down and fastened his colt to a tree. Then, stopping, he fixed one end of the net to the trunk of the apple-tree, and called to the corrigan to hold the other while he took out the pegs. The dwarf did as he was bid when suddenly Peronick threw the noose over his neck, and drew it close, and the corrigan was held as fast as any of the birds he wished to snare. 
Shrieking with rage, he tried to undo the cord, but he only pulled the knot tighter. He had put down the sword on the grass, and Peronek had been careful to fix the net on the other side of the tree, so that it was now easy for him to pluck an apple and to mount his horse, without being hindered by the dwarf, whom he left to his fate. When they had left the plain behind them, Peronek and his steed found themselves in a narrow valley in which was a grove of trees, full of all sorts of sweet-smelling things, roses of every color, yellow broom, pink honeysuckle, while above them all towered a wonderful scarlet pansy whose face bore a strange expression. This was the flower that laughs, and no one who looked at it could help laughing too. Peronik's heart beat high at the thought that he had reached safely the second trial, and he gazed quite calmly at the lion with the mane of vipers twisting and twirling, who walked up and down in front of the grove. The young man pulled up and removed his cap, for, idiot though he was, he knew that when you have to do with people greater than yourself, a cap is more useful in the hand than on the head. Then, after wishing all kinds of good fortune to the lion and his family, he inquired if he was on the right road to Kerglas. "'And what is your business at Kerglas?' asked the lion with a growl, and showing his teeth. "'With all respect,' answered Peronek, pretending to be very frightened, "'I am the servant of a lady who is a friend of the noble Rogier, and sends him some larks for a pasty.' "'Larks!' cried the lion, licking his long whiskers. "'Why, it must be a century since I have had any. Have you a, a large quantity with you?' "'As many as this bag will hold,' replied Peronik, opening as he spoke, the bag which he had filled with feathers and glue, and to prove what he said he turned his back on the lion and began to imitate the song of a lark. "'Come!' exclaimed the lion, whose mouth watered. "'Show me the birds! I should like to see if they are fat enough for my master!' "'I will do it with pleasure,' answered the idiot but if I once open the bag, they will all fly away. "'Well, open it wide enough for me to look in,' said the lion, drawing a little nearer. Now this was just what Peronik had been hoping for, so he held the bag while the lion opened it carefully and put his head right inside, so that he might get a good mouthful of larks. But the mass of feathers and glue stuck to him, and before he could pull his head out again, Peronek had drawn tight the cord, and tied it in a knot that no man could untie. Then, quickly gathering the flower that laughs, he rode off as fast as the colt could take him. The path soon led to the Lake of the Dragons, which he had to swim across. The colt, who was accustomed to it, plunged into the water without hesitation, but as soon as the dragons caught sight of Peronik, they approached from all parts of the lake in order to devour him. This time Peronik did not trouble to take off his cap, but he threw the beads he carried with him into the water, as you throw black corn to a duck, and with each bead that he swallowed a dragon turned on his back and died, so that the idiot reached the other side without further trouble. The valley guarded by the black man now lay before him, and from afar Peronek beheld him, chained by one foot to a rock at the entrance, 
and holding the iron ball which never missed its mark and always returned to its master's hand. In his head the black man had six eyes that were never all shut at once, but kept watch one after the other. At this moment they were all open, and Peronek knew well that if the black man caught a glimpse of him he would cast his ball. So, hiding the colt behind a thicket of bushes, he crawled along a ditch and crouched close to the very rock to which the black man was chained. The day was hot, and after a while the man began to grow sleepy. Two of his eyes closed, and Peronik sang gently. In a moment a third eye shut, and Peronik sang on. The lid of a fourth eye dropped heavily, and then those of the fifth and the sixth. The black man was asleep altogether. Then, on tiptoe, the idiot crept back to the colt which he led over soft moss, past the black man into the vale of pleasure, a delicious garden full of fruits that dangle before your mouth, fountains running with wine, and flowers chanting in soft little voices. Further on tables were spread with food, and girls dancing on the grass called to him to join them. Peronik heard, and scarcely knowing what he did, drew the colt into a slower pace. He sniffed greedily the smell of the dishes, and raised his head the better to see the dancers. Another instant, and he would have stopped altogether and been lost, like others before him, when suddenly there came to him like a vision the golden bowl and the diamond lance. Drawing his whistle from his pocket, he blew it loudly so as to drown the sweet sounds about him, and ate what was left of his bread and bacon to still the craving of the magic fruits. His eyes he fixed steadily on the ears of the colt, that he might not see the dancers. In this way he was able to reach the end of the garden, and at length perceived the castle of Kerglas, with the river between them which had only one ford. Would the lady be there, as the old man had told him? Yes, surely that was she, sitting on a rock in a black satin dress, and her face the color of a Moorish woman's. The idiot rode up, and took off his cap more politely than ever, and asked if she did not wish to cross the river. "'I was waiting for you to help me do so,' answered she. "'Come near, that I might get up behind you.' Peronik did as she bade him, and by the help of his arm, she jumped nimbly on to the back of the colt. "'Do you know how to kill the magician?' asked the lady, as they were crossing the ford. "'I thought that, being a magician, he was immortal, and that no one could kill him,' replied Peronik. "'Persuade him to taste that apple, and he will die, and if that is not enough I will touch him with my finger, for I am the plague,' answered she. "'But if I kill him, how am I to get the golden bowl and the diamond lance that are hidden in the cellar without a key?' rejoined Peronik. "'The flower that laughs opens all doors, and lightens all darkness,' said the lady, and as she spoke they reached the further bank, and advanced towards the castle. In front of the entrance was a sort of tent supported on poles, and under it the giant was sitting, basking in the sun. As soon as he noticed the colt bearing Peronik and the lady, he lifted his head, and cried in a voice of thunder, "'Why, it is surely the idiot! 
riding my colt thirteen months old. Greatest of magicians, you are right, answered Peronick. And how did you manage to catch him? asked the giant. By repeating what I learnt from your brother Bryak on the edge of the forest, replied the idiot. I just said, Colt, free to run and free to eat, Colt, gallop fast until we meet, and it came directly. You know my brother, then? inquired the giant. Tell me why he sent you here. To bring you two gifts which he has just received from the country of the Moors, answered Peronick the apple of delight and the woman of submission. If you eat the apple you will not desire anything else, and if you take the woman as your servant you will never wish for another." "'Well, give me the apple and bid the woman get down,' answered Rogier. The idiot obeyed, but at the first taste of the apple the giant staggered, and as the long yellow finger of the woman touched him he fell dead leaving the magician where he lay, Peronick entered the palace, bearing with him the flower that laughs. Fifty doors flew open before him, and at length he reached a long flight of steps which seemed to lead into the bowels of the earth. Down these he went, till he came to a silver door without a bar or key. Then he held up high the flower that laughs, and the door slowly swung back, displaying a deep cavern which was as bright as the day from the shining of the golden bowl and the diamond lance. The idiot hastily ran forward and hung the bowl round his neck from the chain which was attached to it, and took the lance in his hand. As he did so the ground shook beneath him, and with an awful rumbling the palace disappeared, and Peronick found himself standing close to the forest where he led his cattle to graze. Though darkness was coming on, Peronick never thought of entering the farm, but followed the road which led to the court of the Duke of Brittany. As he passed through the town of Vannes, he stopped at a tailor's shop, and bought a beautiful costume of brown velvet, and a white horse, which he paid for with a handful of gold that he had picked up in the corridor of the castle of Kerglas. Thus he made his way to the city of Nantes, which at that moment was besieged by the French. A little way off Peronick stopped and looked about him. For miles round the country was bare, for the enemy had cut down every tree and burnt every blade of corn, and, idiot though he might be, Peronick was able to grasp that inside the gates men were dying of famine. He was still gazing with horror when a trumpeter appeared on the walls, and after blowing a loud blast announced that the duke would adopt as his heir the man who could drive the French out of the country. On the four sides of the city the trumpeter blew his blast, and the last time Peronick, who had ridden up as close as he might, answered him. "'You need blow no more,' said he, "'for I myself will free the town from her enemies.' And turning to a soldier who came running up, waving his sword, he touched him with the magic lance, and he fell dead on the spot. The men who were following stood still, amazed. Their comrade's armor had not been pierced, of that they were sure, yet he was dead, as if he had been struck to the heart. But before they had time to recover from their astonishment, Peronick cried out, "'You see how my foes will fare? Now behold what I can do for my friends!' And, stooping down, he laid the golden bowl against the mouth of the soldier, 
who sat up as well as ever. Then, jumping his horse across the trench, he entered the gate of the city, which had opened wide enough to receive him. The news of these marvels quickly spread through the town, and put fresh spirit into the garrison, so that they declared themselves able to fight under the command of the young stranger. And as the bowl restored all the dead Bretons to life, Peronic soon had an army large enough to drive away the French, and fulfilled his promise of delivering his country. As to the bowl and the lance, no one knows what became of them, but some say that Bryak the sorcerer managed to steal them again, and that any one who wishes to possess them must seek them as Peronic did. From Le Foyer Breton by Emile Souvestre End of The Castle of Kerglas This recording is in the public domain.